0: Welcome back to Stories New and Old with me, Alyssa. Today, I'm going to be sharing the story of Martha Gellhorn. She was a reporter, an author, and an adventurer who just so happened to also be the third wife of Ernest Hemingway, who is the well-known American author of books like The Sun Also Rises and For Whom the Bell Tolls. Martha Gellhorn was just 28 years old when she went as a correspondent to her first war, and she was in her early 80s when she went on her last. That means she covered virtually every major conflict of the 20th century. So as you can imagine, there are many interesting stories to learn about her. We're going to explore her relationship with Hemingway just a bit, but up front, it's important to know that he had four wives and Gelhorn was the only one who actually left him versus him leaving her. So buckle up, we've got some unbelievable stories to go over about a woman who was definitely ahead of her time. I love to read historical fiction because I get to learn about different periods in history and still experience the compelling arc of a story. And sometimes when I read historical fiction, I will find that there's somebody that I like absolutely have to learn more about. And that is what happened when I finished reading the book Love and Ruin by Paul McLean. It's about the relationship of Ernest Hemingway and Martha Gellhorn, who, like I said before, was his third wife. Paula McLean also wrote a book about Ernest Hemingway and his first wife called The Paris Wife, and that's another great one that I highly recommend, but... Today, we're going to be focusing on Martha. So a little bit of background on her. She was born in 1908 in St. Louis. Her father was a pretty progressive figure, and he was actually St. Louis's most reputable gynecologist. And her mother, she was a huge advocate for people who were struggling. She championed women's rights um, and women's suffrage. There were a lot of Act, you know, kind of activism type of activities that were going on in Martha's house while she was growing up. This type of upbringing brought Martha to being interested in reporting on challenging situations and the first, I feel like challenging is an understatement, um, that she reported on was the depression. So we're going to start there and then we're going to cover a couple of the big high points of Martha's career and where Ernest Hemingway fell into all of this. So Martha was 25 years old, and she became a field correspondent for the Federal Emergency Relief Administration. And this sort of a role was meant to help people understand what was going on across the country and to help the federal government, you know, be more in tune with what people were experiencing. The way that it worked is she received travel vouchers and five bucks a day to go from town to town. And she started out in Gaston County in North Carolina. She was interviewing families that were Very hard hit by the Depression. So they were mill workers, they were sharecroppers, and she was trying to understand their stories and bring that forward. And she was very remarkable at infusing empathy and humanity into what she wrote. I thought it was interesting that she even worked with Dorothea Lang to capture images of people who were suffering to round out her stories. So, Dorothea Lang, you might recognize some of the pictures that she took during the depression. There's one with a woman who is looking into the camera, holding a child. You can see the pain and the worry on the woman's face. And it was remarkable to me to see how Martha was working to capture these sorts of stories in conjunction with another famous woman, uh, Dorothea. Without Martha's knowledge, her work was sent directly to Eleanor Roosevelt, the wife of FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the president at the time. And because of this, when Eleanor read Martha's work, she decided to invite her to a dinner at the White House and learn more about the stories that Martha was experiencing. Nearly a year into being a correspondent in the Federal Emergency Relief Administration, um, she was fired because she incited a riot among unemployed workers in rural Idaho. And Eleanor Roosevelt stepped in and she was like, hey, you're welcome to come and live at the White House until you find out what you want to do next. So, Martha actually moved into the White House for two months into what would later be known as the Lincoln bedroom. And she got really close with Eleanor Roosevelt. She answered a ton of mail with her and they developed a relationship. And this was just such a wild thing to read about for a woman who was so young. Now, this was all pre-Hemingway. So when did Hemingway come onto the scene for Martha? She was on a trip with her family in Florida, and she met Ernest Hemingway there. It was not planned. They were not at some sort of author's convention. It was just pure chance. And they were very attracted to one another, and they decided to travel together to Spain to cover the Spanish Civil War. There's nothing like a good war to put you in the mood to fall in love, And at the time, Hemingway was married to his second wife. So when they first went over to Spain, it wasn't under the pretense of a romantic relationship. But that did develop while They were over there. What I love about Martha in general is that she was continually pushing herself into challenging and dangerous situations. And every time that there was some sort of failure, she had a renewed sense of motivation. I mean, this was very difficult for her to experience a war nearly on the front lines, but she really enjoyed getting to report on it. And she thought that it was important work, just like when she was reporting on really sad situations during the depression. Now, like I mentioned, apparently when you are in very dangerous situations, it's a great place to fall in love. Uh, and she and Hemingway got married in 1940, although they did live together for a little bit while Hemingway was still married to his second wife. He was you know kind of jumping around from woman to woman. But Martha was very different than any of the other wives that Hemingway had had. So instead of just settling down into the role of being a dutiful wife, she continued to travel and report, um, even when Hemingway was really not happy that she was not waiting at home to be ready to, to serve him. His first wife, um, a woman named Hadley Richardson, she didn't have a career, and his second wife pretty quickly stopped being a journalist and was focused on being Mrs. Hemingway instead. And nowadays, it might seem easy enough for a woman to be able to chart her own course, but we have to remember that this was back in the 1940s, and it was a lot harder for women to assert their independence while still fulfilling their expected role as a wife. So I really respect the fact that Martha continued to advocate for herself and do what was important to her, even if it didn't magically perfectly align with Hemingway's expectations or even society's expectations at large. After going to Spain, she went to Germany to report on the rise of Hitler. She went to Czechoslovakia before the Munich Agreement was put in place. She traveled to Finland and Hong Kong and Burma and Singapore and England to report on World War II in all parts of the world. Now, my absolute favorite story to tell about Martha is when she reported on the D-Day invasion in World War II. So, if you're not familiar, during World War II, a major turning point was when the Allied troops landed um, in Normandy in France and did operations. Operation Neptune is what it was called, but it's most commonly referred to as D-Day now, and it was the biggest sea invasion in in history at that point. So it was a big deal. While that was about to happen, um, Martha and Hemingway were really having a lot of difficulty in their interpersonal relationship again. Ernest Hemingway was very upset that Martha Gellhorn was going around and continuing to be a reporter and that she was choosing her work over and over. And he decided to be pretty sneaky and vindictive. Martha had been working for a publication called Colliers, and she was pretty much a a head correspondent for them. But Ernest Hemingway stepped in and offered his byline to the publication. And of course, they weren't going to turn down the most famous American author at the time. And what they did was they said, you know, sorry, Martha, we're not going to send you to report on D Day. We're going to send Hemingway instead. So he effectively cut her out because the newspapers at the time were only allowed to send one correspondent. So she was left scrambling, trying to get another publication to work with her. And she wasn't able to, she wasn't able to get credentials and the relationship between Galhorn and Hemingway was completely falling apart. But she was not deterred. Um, She knew that this was going to be important to report upon, and it was massive. There were 160,000 Allied troops and nearly 5,000 vessels that were going to be launched across the English Channel towards Normandy, and Martha knew she had to be there. She didn't really have a solid plan, but she showed up on the docks, and when someone approached her, she flashed an expired press badge that she had, and she pointed to a large ship. It was this massive white hospital barge with a red cross on the side, and she said that she was there to interview the nurses and doctors on board. And to her shock, she was waved through. And At this point, she was like, okay, well, great, I'm on the ship, but like, what am I going to do? If anyone discovers me, I'm going to be arrested because I'm not actually supposed to be here. So she was able to find a restroom that had a door that locked. So she went in there, locked the door just like camped out on the floor and she had a uh, a flask with her with some liquid courage if you know what i mean and she sat there drinking waiting for the barge to move and start being part of the invasion so like i said this was a very risky situation to be in not only from the standpoint of oh i you know i could be arrested because i'm not actually supposed to be here but I mean, she was going into an active war zone, so the barge could be you know, blown up or she could end up coming out of the her hiding place and getting hurt on the deck. I mean, she didn't know what was going to happen and she didn't know what was going to be the most terrifying of all of those scenarios. But like I said, she knew that it was important for her to be there and to bear witness so that she could report on this. Finally, at dawn, they stopped moving and she let herself out. And when she got up on deck, she saw the cliffs of Normandy and the absolute madness that was D-Day. There were huge destroyer ships, there were uh, planes there. So it was like this busy activity going on of all of these massive ships making their way over. And like I mentioned, the ship that she was on was a hospital boat and it was the first hospital boat to arrive. So they were immediately taking on all of the wounded soldiers. And Martha realized like, I cannot sit here with my little notebook and be a reporter right now. I need to lend a hand and help wherever I can as all of these wounded soldiers are coming back to the boat. So she ended up being a stretcher bearer. So she was running back and forth with a stretcher. And later she would find out that not only was she the only journalist to get over there, there were hundreds of credentialed journalists, including Ernest Hemingway, um, that sat behind her with binoculars, never making it to shore. But she was the only woman on the beach for the D-Day invasion. There were, like I mentioned, 160,000 troops, all male, and she was the sole woman who was on site for the D-Day invasion. I mean, this is just mind-blowing to me that she had this experience, that she had this courage, and that it worked out that way that she was in a situation where not only was she, you know, getting to get that firsthand view so that she could ultimately report on it, but that she was having such a singular and unique experience as a woman. I mean, like I said, this just blew my mind, the fact that she like snuck in and was getting drunk in the bathroom beforehand because she did not know what was going to happen next. Throughout her career, like I said, she was doing a lot of this—more uh, than a lot. She was doing tons of reporting, but she was also writing books. Um, she was trying to establish herself as a author of novels, but it was really challenging to do this while she was married to Hemingway, who was, like I said, the most well-known author of the time. Um, and things fell apart with this D-Day situation when Hemingway. Stepped in and tried to take her spot, which he did. He did get to publish a report on the invasion, um, but Martha still got a word in there, too. After she divorced Ernest Hemingway about five years um, of marriage, and and then they were done, she ended up swinging from relationship to relationship, mostly with married men. So she didn't have any long-term relationships after Hemingway to speak of. Um, She was mostly alone, and she continued to report and travel widely. She went to 53 different countries, and she said that she felt that she was permanently dislocated because she was always on the move and didn't have a solid home base that she was always coming back to. She was 89 years old um, when Martha was given a terminal cancer diagnosis, and she decided that she was going to die by suicide. Instead, she swallowed a cyanide pill, but she had been so active up to that point this quote I love from her, she wrote, I want a life with people that is almost explosive in its excitement, fierce and hard and laughing and loud and gay as all hell let loose. Why should I be a footnote to someone else's life? And I just love how she phrased this and how she did embody this explosive excitement that she said that she wanted to have in her life. She was clearly much more than a footnote in Ernest Hemingway's wife. I loved learning about her bravery. And like I said, I highly recommend picking up the novel Love and Ruin by Paula McLean so that you can experience even more of the emotions and the interpersonal turmoil that Martha Gellhorn faced in her life. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Stories New and Old podcast on the platform of your choice. You can follow me on Instagram to get teasers for new episodes, and of course, you can check out my blog for more great history content. If you're inclined, please rate and review this episode. It helps me to come up with new ideas, and it's a wonderful way for you to support the podcast. Thanks for listening to Stories New and Old with me, Alyssa. See you next time.